You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal LA Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. Okay, so here we go. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Part 1. You know, there's five different aspects or components uh, to who we are. There's the physical, what you see, how tall you are, how much you weigh, what type of hair texture you have, the shape of your eyes, etc., etc. The intellectual, your intellectual ability that God's given you and you've developed as such. You've got the social component of who we are. Uh, You have the artistic component. You see my line went out. I tried a lot of ways to... It's not that level, but hey, you know, I did my best. First time I made one of those pie charts. Uh, you got your spiritual component. I didn't mean to make it bigger. It's just I couldn't get it to line up right. And then you have your emotional c- component. You know, God wants us to deal with all five. God's made us with all five. And God wants us to take care of all five and grow in all five. And God's involved in all five. You know, we know this uh, fact But this right here is an iceberg. Uh, We all know the famous story of the uh, sinking of the Titanic, the ship that was unsinkable, went into an area of an iceberg lane, lots of carelessness, lots of underestimation, and one of the largest losses of life in transportation in our history. We all know the story even before the movie came out. Um, But, you know, it hit an iceberg. And icebergs look really big, right? Uh, This is broken. They look really big on the top, but look at how big they are underneath. In fact, we can only see about 10% of an iceberg. 90% of it's below the water. You'd have to get on scuba equipment or go into an underwater submarine of some sort to see the whole thing or use a camera down there. And it's the same thing with ourselves. We can only see on our best day about 10% of ourselves. Scary. Kind of. I can't, it kind of makes you uh, go, hmm. And it also makes you go, I need God more, and I need people more in my life, and I should always be growing because 90% of us is below the surface. And that's kind of what this book's about. That's what this series is about, is taking the chance with the autoscope or the stethoscope to listen to your own heartbeats, to have the doctor ask you some interesting questions, to do some self-reflection, and to grow and to become healthier on the inside. You know, there's top ten symptoms of unhealthy spirituality. Can I get you to pass those out, or did you already pass them out? I'm going to give you a handout. Clay, where'd you go? Oh, there's right there in that box. So I'm giving you a handout right now. Sorry about that. I I forgot about that. I have a handout. This is uh, in the book, but the top ten symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Then... What is emotional health? And what is contemplative spirituality, or contemplative is the word? I had never really, I knew about it, but I'd never really studied contemplative spirituality. I'm excited to teach on it next year. It's a really interesting concept. And uh, how do you integrate both of them? And then uh, the last thing is the three gifts of integration. So integrating your emotional health and contemplative spirituality. So if you could just go back to the top page right here, please. Top 10 symptoms of unhealthy, emotionally unhealthy spirituality. We're going to talk through those here just a little bit. These are all in the book. I'm not going to go through all of I mean, I'm not going to go in lots of detail, but let's, let's talk about them. Number one, using God to run from God. My hope is that tonight 
I will pique your interest to go, I want to grow deeper on the 90%. Secondly, I hope you're excited and grateful that God cares about the whole person. Thirdly, that you go read the book and do and help yourself grow. Train yourself to be godly. And um, so tonight I'm just going to kind of skim an intro, and then we're going to talk about just one pathway to emotionally healthy spirituality tonight. And then we'll do two every week after that. Using God to run from God. What does that mean? Well, a lot of our prayers are about our will versus God's will. Just wanting soothing versus really trying to surrender to God's will. Um, Sometimes we do God's work because it satisfies us versus to do it for God. Another thing is sometimes we can show Christian behavior because we get a certain level of attention or, or respect or validation by the behavior, but that's not necessarily what's reflecting on the inside. That's just three of about 15 ways in the book that he talks about using God to run from God, but I thought it was kind of an interesting concept. Second, and guys, you totally get this, Ignoring the emotions of anger, sadness, and fear. Um, those, uh, I was listening uh, to uh, this book yesterday, and uh, one of the, a biblical scholar said that over two-thirds of the psalms are psalms of lament. So there's 150 psalms, and over 100 of them are sad songs. Songs of distress, songs of anxiety, songs of depression, songs of sadness, songs of fear, songs of... God, what happened? This is not what I thought. Songs of a shattered life. And you go, I've never read those until you go through things. Then you go, oh, I didn't know these were here. These are really helpful. But over two-thirds are about that. And I think, you know, we're taught, hey, be faithful. Don't be anxious about anything. Do not fear. And those are all, be joyful. Those are all real things that God commands us to do. But sometimes that's not where we're at. And if we ignore those things and we just disconnect, it's just a matter of time before it comes back to bite us. You know, dying to the wrong things. The Christian life is about self-denial, but it's also about enjoyment. God wants us to enjoy food and people and relationships and music and art and our talents and skills and rest and all kinds of things. It's not all just about, uh, you know, dying to the wrong things. Denying the past impact on the present. You know, as I was reading this book, I got a little down because I realized how broken I am. But then I got to the point where he says, everybody's broken. Everybody's family's broken. Everybody comes from a broken family, even the best ones. And everybody, even parents that do their best, their kids come back later and go, hey, mom, you know, hey, dad, that wasn't really helpful. Here, there, and and I'm not there yet. I'm getting it now, but I'm sure I'll get tons later. Um, But our past impacts our present. Does that mean we need to dwell on it and be hindered by it? No, but we should know how is it impacting so that when it impacts the current moment, we can go, oh, that's because of this, and I need to step out of myself and get back into a good spot. Number five, dividing our life into secular and sacred compartments. This is how I am with church people. This is how I am doing church activity. This is how I am at work. This is how I am around my family. And this is how I am at home. And this is how I am at my roommates. This is how I am with my non-Christian friends at They're not interested. No, you don't divide. It's all one thing. Six, doing for God instead of being with God. Boy, that really challenged me. That sometimes you can get more into being active for God and being busy for God versus paying attention to the interior 
life. I read a book, or I started a book. Uh, shoot, I can't remember the name of it. It'll come to me in a minute. But it's about emotions, and it's about the Psalms. And what he talked about, which I thought was really interesting, he said emotions aren't good or bad. They're just messengers. They're just telling you what's going on. Just... But it's supposed to get your attention to go get somebody involved that's smarter than you to look under the hood and go, you just needed to rotate your tires. Do you know what I'm saying? And so I, I think this whole idea of working on the interior life, not just going through Christian motion, but dealing with the inside and growing in it. Seven, spiritualizing away uh, conflict. What is that? That's not avoiding conflict, but that's also learning how to deal with conflict in a healthy and mature way. Number eight, covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure. Remember I said that everybody's broke, broken, has weakness, and it has failure? And if we just focus on our strengths, and we just don't want to deal with those parts, it's kind of like the guy at the gym that has a huge upper body, and then you see him in shorts, and you're like, oh my. <laughs> Is that like anatomically proper? And he needs some special like calf stabilizer shoes or something. He's going to hurt his... He's going to have to have knee replacements by the time he's 30. That's why I don't try to get too big. You know what I'm saying? Like I, but where you can be so busy doing God's thing, focusing on your talents, your skills, your abilities, that it just covers over dealing. Number nine, living with, without limits. Everybody has limits. We have physical handicap limits, our eyesight, a stutter, um, just different challenges with sleep we need or this or that. And, and we have limits of just the station of life, how much money we're able to make or not make. Our, our pat, we have limits. God gives everyone limits. When we try to live without limits, we can really hurt ourselves. Uh, number 10, judging the spiritual journey of others. Boy, have I done that. Boy, can I do that. They're just being what? Prideful. He just said it. So easy just to kind of put a label. They're this. They're that. Well, if they had, when we really don't know. We really don't. And even if we did know, we don't know all of it. And even if we knew most of it, we don't know all of it. And, and who is it for us to judge? Well, I felt challenged by one, two, four, six, eight, nine, and ten. You know, what happens, you know, the picture of this bridge, but there's, what he, what he talks about in the book, which I thought was really interesting, is that there's a transforming power that takes place of Christ when we join our emotional health to contemplative spirituality. That we don't just ignore the one. We know we need to be spiritual. That's why you're here tonight. But that when we can learn how to combine the two, dealing with both, there's a powerful thing that happens, like a bridge helping us cross over. What's emotional health? I'm not going to go define all these. They're on your sheet. Uh, naming, recognizing, and managing our own feelings. Learning genuine empathy and active compassion for each other. Boy, that's a tough one. But this is one of the best tools. Sympathy, I feel sorry for you. And I mean it. I'm genuinely sorry. Empathy, I feel sorry with you. You ever read a scripture and you go, oh my gosh, that's exactly how I feel. And you go, God gets me. And you just feel so comforted 
that God, you already know intellectually he knows you, but you feel he knows you. Uh, Initiating and maintaining close and meaningful relationships. Breaking free from self-destructive patterns. Being aware of how our past impacts our present. Respecting others without having to change them. Learning how to express our thoughts and feelings well, both verbal and nonverbal. Asking for what we want, need, prefer, both clearly, directly, and respectfully. Accurately self-assessing our strengths, limits, weaknesses, and freely sharing them with others. These are, these are signs of emotional health. Learning how to resolve conflict maturely while considering the perspective of others. And finally, grieving well. There's a longer list in the book. I just picked some of the ones that I thought were, were really good. Um, I already told you which ones I'm having a challenge with. Sometimes it's almost all of them, but not, not all of them. But, but grieving well, I thought, was even an interesting one. What is contemplative spirituality? I'm really thrilled to teach on this later. Our, 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 like I said, our calendar's full for this year. But it's really opened my mind. I listened to a book that David Blanco recommended to me a while ago on meditation uh, and uh, really changed my relationship with God. You go, what's meditation? Well, you're not talking to God. You're not listening to God to go, God, tell me. Tell me now. Was that the sign? You're just being with God. For those of us that are parents or spouses, it's like just being with your kids or your spouse and enjoying them and you're not saying anything. But you're enjoying each other's companionship and presence and just good feelings. What is contemplative spirituality? Awakening to God's love in any and every situation. Where you don't just have a quiet time in the morning, like unplug the phone, it's got all the bars, and off you go to see God tomorrow morning. Unless there's a crisis. It's spending time with God in the morning, but being with God all throughout the day and seeing God in a lot of situations. Um, Communing with God, allowing Him to fully indwell in the depth of our being. Practicing silence, solitude, and unceasing prayer. Boy, this is hard. Go try it. Go try to sit with God. Don't say anything. Don't think anything. Don't listen for anything. Just be. Uh, resting attentively in the presence of God, finding the true essence of who we are in God and being able to be just with God. He talks about here the three gifts of integration. How do you integrate emotional health and contemplative spirituality? Well, in Luke 10, 38 to 42, we know the story. Martha and Mary have this important guest, Jesus, right? Martha's all frantic. Martha's a doer. Martha's honored that Jesus is there. Jesus had a big deal in their life, right? Raised Lazarus. I mean, he's kind of a big deal. She wanted him to feel special. She's cleaning house. She's getting everything ready. And Mary's just sitting there enjoying his presence. All the dishes aren't out. Everything's not clean. The table's not fully set. And she's just like, I don't know if I'll ever get this again. I'm enjoying this. And Martha's getting more frustrated. She's walking in the room making you know, little huffy noises back and forth, tries to, give him, tries to give the eyes, tries to kind of clink a little thing, you know, just to get, Mary, come on, it's a guest. And, you know, hospitality is important now, but back in Jesus' day and in still some place in the Middle East, it's huge. It's everything. And Mary just sits there and she finally can't take it anymore and she says, Jesus, don't you care? Get, your, get, get her to help me. And she says, Mary, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen what is better. The gift of slowing down. 
You say, Marco, you're talking about slowing down? Exactly. <laughs> I said, it's a gift, and it's something I'm working on. But it is, it is something that God wants us to do. Second gift of integration, when you integrate the two together, is the gift of anchoring in God's love. You know, we all feel God's love when things are going well. We feel God's love when things are going bad. We have a hard time feeling God's love when things go bad and they go really bad and they stay that way for a long time. Or maybe that's going to be our lot. And we can have a hard time feeling God's love then. And it's always good, it's easy to feel it when you're in control, which is not an illusion, but you feel you're in control. But then when you're not, everything that you're anchored to or not anchored to shows itself. You care more about what people think, right? Even though they're not thinking it, you care more. You start judging yourself and others. I mean, all kinds of things can happen, and there's a gift if we can get anchored in God's love. Like, that's where the anchor goes. You've seen huge ships. They let out these huge anchors with these huge chain links, and the, 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 the anchor is not heavier than the ship but the anchor is dropped in such a way and it has a hook and it'll drop into the ocean floor and then they move the ship to where it hooks, just like in a fish's mouth. It hooks into the ground and that anchor is able to keep that ship where the ocean's moving all day and night or weeks, however long you're anchored, it keeps it there. And that's what God wants for us. Ephesians 3, 18 and 19 talks about how high, how, high, how wide, how deep, is the love of Christ. And to know that love that surpasses knowledge. That's what contemplative spirituality and emotional health, when they're in good spots, coming together. And then the last gift is the gift of breaking free from illusion. As much as we know that looks, money, having a relationship, your zip code, the degree at the end of your name, where you get to eat, where you get to vacation, how you're respected or not, is not... What satisfies, we still tend to, oh, Louis Vuitton. Half price? TJ Maxx, I mean, you know, we still tend to lean towards it. Why? Well, in the same reason that God says, don't make idols. Just be okay that I'm invisible and worship me in my essence. And when you integrate emotional health and contemplative spirituality, it helps you break free from the illusion that anything but the pleasure of being with God, knowing God, the future security of being with God forever, pleasing God, loving God, anything outside of that will never really satisfy you. And again, even though we know that, we drift. We drift to it. I don't know about you, but I've bought something before, a lot of different things, where I was really excited to get it. Then I got it, I got it home or rode it or whatever, it was a bike. Or, and then I even look at it sometimes. Whew, whew. Shiny. You know, you just kind of, you just, you're drawn. Am I the only one that's ever done that? Ladies, how many shoes in your closet? Okay, just come on, come on. No, I'm just kidding. Break free from that illusion. You only have two feet. No, um. But Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7.31 to those who use the things in the world as if not engrossed in them. So God gives us things for our enjoyment, but he doesn't want us to use things in the world as if they own us and we're engrossed in them. And it's not just possessions. It can be possession, position, power, 
money. It can be all kinds of things. But when you integrate the two, that's what we're going to talk about over the next three weeks is the benefits of emotional health and spiritual health being brought together. So there are seven pathways to emotionally healthy spirituality. We're only going to talk about one tonight. Next week we'll talk about two more. John 2.25, Jesus says this, He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. How much do we see of ourselves? On our best day. But there's still a lot more to us. And the number one pathway to emotionally healthy spirituality is know yourself that you may know God. Know yourself that you may know God. There is quote after quote from St. Augustine to Aristotle to all kinds of philosophers, theologians, that to, uh, uh, in, the, in the Chinese culture that talk about this concept of knowing yourself. Aristotle said a long version of know thyself. You go, know what about yourself? As much as you can learn. Why you do what you do, why you don't do what you do, why you lean towards this, why you lean towards that, why do you react to these people, what do you like, what do you not like, so on and so forth. But know yourself so that you may know God. And there's a scary part of knowing yourself. And even like in this picture, there's a part of us that just wants to cover up seeing ourselves. Why? It's dirty. Or it's uncomfortable. Or what do you do with it? But this is the number one path to emotionally healthy spirituality is to know yourself that you may know God. And I believe this is a lifelong discovery. The more you know about yourself, the more there is to learn about yourself. And it's not all bad. But you have to know yourself to know God. Here's what Tozer said, a famous theologian that's long gone. He says, here's some rules for self-discovery. Seven rules to knowing yourself. What we want the most. Two, what we think about the most. Three, how we use our money. Four, what do we do with our leisure time? Five, the company we enjoy. Six, who and what we admire. And seven, what we laugh at. Now, is this the only rules of self-discovery? Absolutely not. There's all kinds of tools in the book. There's all kinds of tools you can find out there. And it's a lifelong discovery. Kind of like the ocean. Who's seen it all? No one. Who will? No one. Could you ever get to the whole ocean? No. But I thought, this is kind of cool. Some rules of self-discovery from a man that thought deeply. What does God want us to do? He wants us to become our authentic self. You know, Jesus was tempted with the false self. In Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 13, Jesus had been baptized, started his ministry. The Spirit led him out in the desert to be tested and tempted, right? God tested him. Satan tried to tempt him. And he was tempted after fasting for 40 days with three different things. If you are the Son of God, he tested him with his identity the whole time. Second question, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from the temple and you won't be harmed. And you know, he, he goes on and over and then he says, if you are the Son of God, bow down to me now, worship me, and all this will be yours. And, and the crazy thing was, I was even listening to the Psalms today, one of the Psalms came, you know, do not strike your foot against a stone. I thought, wow, Jesus or Satan using the Bible to try to tweak us. But what was Jesus tempted with? The same three things that we're tempted with in the false self. 
I am what I do. How I perform defines what I am. Number two, I am what I have. What I own or don't own defines who I am. Number three, I am what others think about me or if they like me, popularity. These are what are called the false self. What's the true self? The authentic self? Ephesians 4, 22 to 24 says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitudes of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. God wants us, I don't know about you, but I struggle with all three of those things in the false self. You go, really? Yeah. Do you? Sometimes one more than the other, depending on the situation and depending on whatever. But I have and struggle with all, and I'm a strong Christian. Almost 26 years in the fight. You go, well, what's that going to say about me? Fight with me. It's, it's, it, we have to keep going after joining our emotional health and spirituality together to where we can be the best that we can be and be our authentic self and put on that new self, he says, made new in the attitudes of your mind, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Here's some practicals as we close out, and then we're going to go into D groups for 20 minutes. And we're going to go into groups of three, so everybody gets a chance to talk a little bit about those um, different qualities that we talked about earlier. Number one, pay attention to your interior silence. Pay attention to your interior in silence and solitude. Boy, it's really hard for me to do this. I've sat there, and I, one of the books, and I'm not going to teach on it tonight, but talks about in meditation to have a prayer word, and you, as your mind does like a bumblebee would, you, know, you kind of keep saying your word, whatever it is. I'm not going to tell you mine because then you'll steal it. And I, I, I crafted it for quite a while. And then if you tell me you stole it, then I'll be thinking about you when I say it. and I, It'll distract me. Pay attention to your interior in silence and solitude. One of the things I've liked about doing this is as I sit there and I have to, thoughts keep coming in, I have to keep pushing them out, keep coming in. I keep saying my, my prayer word right there. And, and then the breeze comes. And then I kind of start feeling... Small, really small, in a good way. Like, wow, God is enormous. And I'm so small. You know, just kind of perspective as you're just sitting there going, and that's true whether I was doing that or not, but it's just been really helpful for me to calm down, listen, be quiet. Um, Number two, find and spend time with trusted companions, a safe place, people that you can talk to, share your heart with, and be your authentic self. Three, move out of your comfort zone. You know, that's not something you just do once. As you grow, you have to move more and more out of your comfort zone. And we'll talk more about it in the weeks to come. And then four, pray for courage. You know, right here, um, this is breaking the sound barrier. Uh, Chuck Yeager in 19, I don't have my facts in front of me, but it was, I think, the 1960s. The British tried to do it uh, and got up to, you know, five, 600 miles an hour. The airplane blew apart trying to break the sound barrier, and the pilot blew apart. Um, so they came to Chuck Yeager, who was a colonel in the, in the uh, Air Force, and said, Chuck, you want to try breaking the sound barrier? He said, sure. And so he went after it eight different times, and the plane would shake. And it, the sound barrier is somewhere around close to 800 miles an hour. And the plane would shake and shake and shake, and he said, he said it was kind of underwhelming. You know, all that, and then it just like went through. And that's a picture of breaking the sound barrier. It's like condensation. You can see it and you can hear the sonic boom. But he said it was like pushing through jello once we broke the sound barrier. 
And my hope is that we can break these barriers in our lives and get, you know, there's going to be some rattling beforehand. Oh, man. But as we break, as we break through it, hopefully there'll be some pushing through jello. We're like, wow, that was a great breakthrough. Here, uh, now we're going to do is break into our discussion groups. And let's get in groups of three and just talk about uh, the top ten symptoms. Which one do you relate with the most and why? Secondly, what areas of emotional health are you most excited to grow in? Thirdly, what areas of contemplative spirituality are you excited to learn? And then spend some time praying together. So let's not talk now. Let's just get in groups of three. Let's talk about these things. You have them on your sheet. And we'll uh, be ending right at nine. I'll leave this up here on the screen. Thanks. You've just listened to the Elevate podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit elevatecoastal.com.